0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. It is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. And uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to move around a little bit. Um, This week, we're continuing our series that we've titled Essentials, uh, which is a series that we kick off every January just as a way of refocusing and realigning our lives around uh, what it means to be the church and to be the men and women God's created us to be. And so, in order for us to to do that, um, every January we take four weeks to kind of unpack these four core practices. That God calls us to as as disciples and really just as human beings gather, go, grow, and give. And so we're just making our way through that list. Um, and today we're going to talk about grow. So look with me, Colossians chapter one. We'll start. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Verse twenty eight. Verse twenty eight. Paul says this. Him talking about Jesus, we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this purpose, I toil and I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let's pray together one more time. Would you pray for me as I pray for you? Father in heaven, we we, uh, know that you can hear us not because we're impressive and we can somehow get you to look at us and we've earned some sort of seat in your throne room, but just we just come to you um, by grace and through the blood of Christ and just acknowledge that, man, we have your attention. And that's amazing that you see us, that you hear us, that you love us, that you want us, that you desire us, that we were created for you. And so I'm just asking, Lord, that in this space uh, you would... would, um, Interrupt our lives, you would meet us here, you would direct our hearts to the love that you have for us in Jesus, and warm us with that. I love Luke's prayer. Warm us on a cold morning. You are the light of the world, Jesus. You are the Son of righteousness. And so I pray that you would bring all the warmth um, and the glory of your love into our hearts this morning. Wake us up, give us saving faith, repentance. Um, and help us to truly grow into the men and women you were made, we were made to be. So, um, remove all distractions. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, well, a couple of months ago, I was in the Louisville area with a group of pastors and leaders from all over the country, uh, attending a training led by Richard Plass. And many of you have heard us talk about Rich. He's been a spiritual director and mentor and friend to our pastors. And so I'm attending this training. And at this training, there's a point at which Rich uh, starts to um, kind of give a lecture on how to provide soul care and encouraging and equipping for parents. And I'm like, man, I really need to hear this, not just so that I can help other parents, but because as a parent, I need all the help I can get. So the whole room is just kind of sitting at his feet, you know, kind of ready to soak up all this wisdom And it's this amazing stuff. He's saying things like, just kind of teasing each one of these out, you know, make sure you, point number one, establish the priority of the marriage. The kids need to see that the marriage is the primary relationship. And point number two, make sure you model repentance and vulnerability to your kids. They need to see that you're a real human who needs Jesus. And point number three, honor their feelings and help them turn their feelings into prayers to God. And he's just like dropping all this knowledge. And finally, he gets to the very end of his list and he says, um... And finally, and perhaps most importantly, and he stops. And so now, like, the whole room is really leaning in because we know this dude is like, saved the best for last, right? He's about to drop something, some serious knowledge on us. And he says, finally, and perhaps most importantly, remember that one day, sooner than you realize, your children will grow up and mature, and they will leave the house. And when that day comes... You will feel some sadness, but you will mostly feel relief. <laughs> and so like, yeah, amen. And so, um, so the the whole room like busts out into, into laughter. There's one guy in the room who's an empty nester, and he's like, it's true. He's right. Um, that's exactly what it feels like. And we all laugh, and, and Rich is like, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to be true. So he repeats it. Like one day they're going to grow up. They're going to mature. They're going to leave. You're going to feel some sadness, but you're going to feel a lot of relief. Amen again, again, right? (laughs) And we laugh at that because it's funny. He's not trying to be funny, but the reason we laugh is because we know it's true. And we laugh because it, it touches a deep thing in us. Like Rich's statement highlights this truth that if you're a parent, you've got this ache in your bones and this longing to see your kids grow up and mature, A couple Saturdays ago when the weather was much nicer than it is today, I was taking down the Christmas lights and I was up on this ladder, um, like kind of halfway on the roof and I'm taking down lights and listening to a podcast and enjoying this time alone. And then all of a sudden my wife Carrie just comes busting out the front door and into the yard and with no context at all, she says, Adam, oh my gosh, Peach, which that's what we call our youngest daughter and I'm a worst case scenario thinker, so I'm on the ladder and I pull out my earbuds and I'm like, she's tripped and stabbed herself, her head's fallen off, like something bad has really, has happened. And so I said, what? What's wrong with Peach? What happened? And she's like, she pooped in the potty. <laughs> on her own initiative. And I'm like, that's amazing, but you almost killed me. Like I almost fell <laughs> off the ladder and died. But I climbed off the ladder and I grabbed at my family and I was like, we're ordering pizza. We're celebrating. And, and and we're still celebrating because as of a few weeks ago, all of my children are officially out of diapers, which is, Thank you, very much. you need a standing ovation because really shit's all the work is her. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're celebrating this. We're excited about this because man, it, it means that slowly, but surely my kids are, are growing up and they are taking a little bit of responsibility for themselves, right? Which that's the goal. If you're a parent, that's what you want. You want to see your kid grow up and, and learn to feed themselves and clean themselves and dress themselves and go on to become functioning and hopefully flourishing members of society, right? right. And, and, and you, you long for this, and the reason why you long for this is not just because it's hard, but because you know that if they refuse to grow up and mature, the consequences are devastating. Like, if, if they refuse to grow up and mature those kind of people will end up most likely with what psychologists have referred to as Peter Pan syndrome. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Peter Pan, the story of Peter Pan, right? He's the boy who never wants to grow up. He lives in an imaginary world called Neverland. He has no adult responsibilities, and life's all fun and games. And so psychologists are now kind of using, with that in mind, they're using that term, and here's how psychology today defines Peter Pan syndrome, okay? Peter Pan syndrome is a condition... When someone who is chronologically and physically an adult refuses to grow up and accept respo- uh, adult responsibilities and therefore remains in a state of perpetual immaturity. Is that, is, that, that, is that bothering everybody? Yeah, it's kind of bothering me too. I don't think it's this. Yeah, I think I'll do the handheld. I think it's uh, actually maybe a short in my thing. So I'll just go stand up comedian style and do the handheld. Yeah. Is this awkward? It's not, it's not awkward at all, Jared. <laughs> Is this thing uh can we get this thing to come on? Oh, hello everybody. Okay, take my glasses off. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thanks, Jared. Go. Just, oh yeah, put that. Your You're not gonna touch my pocket. <laughs> Jared Pickney, everybody, give him a hand. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, so psychology today, Peter Pan syndrome, okay? Um Someone who is uh, chronologically, physically an adult, refuses to grow up and accept adult responsibilities, therefore remains in a state of perpetual immaturity. Now, here's some characteristics of that. Characteristics include, I'll put this on the screen for you, chronic unemployment, Lack of self-clarity and direction. Lack of character development. Unable to cope with the stress of life and emotion. Addicted to time wasters and or substances. Codependency. Struggle to distinguish between reality and fantasy. Struggle to maintain deep, meaningful relationships. And an exaggerated childlike selfishness. Now... You may know someone with Peter Pan syndrome. You may have it. I don't say this to shame anyone in the room. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, we all find ourselves in one degree or another on that list because nobody has arrived to perfect maturity. The point I'm trying to make is this. As, as much fun as it sounds to not have to grow up, we know that perpetual immaturity will sabotage you and keep you from experiencing the life you were made for. That's why we long to see our kids grow up. We don't want them to miss out on life. It's why uh, the American author William S. Burroughs once said this, when you stop growing, you start dying. Or to quote the legendary college football coach Lou Holtz, who once said it like this, in this world, you're either growing or you're dying. So get in motion and grow. What these guys are saying is that perpetual immaturity will functionally kill you. It will rob you of experiencing the life you were made for. And the reason why I share that with you is because what Paul wants to see in our passage this morning is that that's not just true on a physical level, that's ultimately true on a spiritual level. And we really need to lean in and pay attention to this this morning. The reason why we need to pay attention to this is because when the Bible talks about your spiritual life and my spiritual life, like our faith and our relationship with Jesus, it's not something that is meant to be static, but it's something that by definition is meant to grow and blossom and flourish And mature. And so in the same way that we expect our children to grow up biologically, God the Father expects and he calls his children to grow up spiritually. And so if you're in this room and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, God is inviting you this morning to a new birth, to experience a new life and an identity, a new identity by looking to Jesus and trusting in him and his life, death, and resurrection for your sin. And if you're in this room and you are trusting in Jesus, God is calling you to move from a newborn to an adult in your faith. Because like any good parent, God the Father understands that if you don't do that, if you refuse to grow up, your own perpetual immaturity will kill you. Like it will devastate your spiritual life. And so in order for us to experience the life Jesus offers, I think the question we have to ask this morning is, how do we grow up? Like, what does it mean to grow up and to mature spiritually? And just so you all know, the guy with the microphone is asking that question personally. Like, I do not nothing I'm about to say is from a place of, like, I have arrived and I am mature. Um, ask my wife. Ask Jared. Ask Luke. Ask our staff. Ask my missional community. Ask me. I'd be happy to share with you all the places I'm aware of where I'm failing and need to grow. Um, so I, I'm saying all this as a guy who's asking the same question. What does it look like? to grow up spiritually, and it's a question we have to ask. Um, to answer it, let's go back to our text. So um, look, the text we read earlier, look back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we're just going to jump right in. Paul says this, him, that's Jesus, that we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this purpose I toil and I struggle. Paul's heart in this passage, you can can hear it, he's he's writing to a church um, that was planted by another guy that he discipled named Epaphras, and so it's like Paul's writing to his spiritual grandchildren, and you can like hear this fatherly heart, he's like, I want to do everything I can to help you guys grow up and mature in Christ, and if I were you, I would circle or underline or highlight that little prepositional phrase, in Christ, because Right out of the blocks, Paul's showing us all his cards, like even if it kills the tension in the sermon. Here's what he wants you to see immediately in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to grow and you want to become the man or the woman God made you to be, you have to embrace the reality that you can't do it apart from Jesus. So notice, like look look back at that phrase, in Christ. Paul says the power to be alive and to grow is not found in you, it's found where? In Christ. So right away, we see spiritual life and growth is not something you and I can manufacture or produce on our own strength, but if you want to truly be alive and you want to flourish and you want to grow and you want to experience the life you were made for, Paul says you have to, you have to look to Jesus and embrace the reality of who he is and what he's done for you. And he spends the whole first chapter of Colossians trying to argue that. Like if we were to back up and kind of summarize verses 15 through 19, just kind of hang with me. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. In verses 15 through 19, he points us to the majesty of who Jesus is. He says, you want to know who Jesus is? I'll tell you who he is. He's the preeminent one over all the universe. Jesus is ultimate reality. He is the one true God. And Paul says he's before all things. He created all things. He rules over all things. He holds all things together. Jesus is the king of the universe. That's who he is. And then he moves from in verses 20 to 27, he moves from talking about the majesty of who Jesus is to the mystery of what Jesus has done for us. And twice in that that context, Paul calls it a mystery, not in the sense that like you can't understand it, but it's mysterious in the sense that it's mind blowing what Jesus has done for you. Because in verse 20, Paul says the majestic king of the universe loves you so much that he humbled himself and he took on flesh and he stepped into our world and he went from being placed on throne to being placed on a cross where he shed his own blood for your sin so that you can be forgiven and you can be made alive with him by his grace. That's really good news. And then in verse 27, it just like keeps getting better because Paul continues to unpack the mystery. And he says that when you trust in Jesus, not only does he forgive you, but he puts his very own spirit in you. And you now have union with Christ, which we did a whole series on back in the fall. And if you want to know why that's so important is because it means that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, if the spirit of Christ is in you, you have a guarantee that you can change and you can grow. Like, you don't have to stay stuck in your past. You don't have to stay stuck in your pain. You don't have to stay stuck in your guilt, fear, and shame. You can grow. You can change. You don't have to stay stuck in your current sin, in your dysfunctional patterns, in your addictions. You have the Spirit of God in you. You can change, and you can grow. Think about the resources, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that you have in you, if you're trusting Jesus. He's put His very own Spirit in you to help you close the gap. And so... Paul's whole point in chapter 1 is, look, if you want to truly be alive, like this morning, if you want to be warmed up and made alive, truly alive, and you want to grow and you want to flourish, you have to embrace the the majesty of who Jesus is. He's the God who created you and loves you. And you have to embrace the miracle of what Jesus has done for you. He's the God who pursues you and who gave his life for you. And that brings us all the way back to our text in verse 28. Paul says, this is what my ministry is all about. Look, look in verse 29. He says, I'm a pastor. Verse 29, you want to know the reason why I toil, he says, why I struggle, why I work hard day in and day out. Pastors don't just work um, on Sundays, by the way. Um, Paul's like, you want to know why I get after it every day? Because my goal in everything I do is to help you look to Jesus and grow up and mature in him. And that's not just Paul's burden and his desire, by the way, that's our burden as pastors, like the reason why we do everything we do, every structure, every teaching, every, every, every leadership development initiative, like the reason we do membership renewal every year as a church is because we want to be intentional and we want to do everything we can to help you put your faith in Jesus and help you grow up into him. It's the, it's, and we want to grow with you, right there with you. It's the central burden of our ministry. And again... The reason why you have to lean in and pay attention to this, the reason why it's our goal to be presented as mature in Christ is because you have to understand the dangers of not growing up. Um, There's a lot of places where Paul talks about this. Um, I I think one of the clearest places is Ephesians 4. So if you'll flip back um, to Ephesians 4, and I'll put it on the screen there as well for you. You can follow along. I'll give you a second to turn there. Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 11. It's to the left of Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul's getting at the dangers of not growing up. And here's what he says. And he, verse 11, talking about Jesus, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then he explains the work of the ministry. It is the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's the Greek word adulthood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm just going to stop right there and just point out again. Paul says the reason God gives leaders to the church is to equip you so that we can do the work of the ministry, which is you build yourself and we build one another up in a way that we all become mature adults in the faith. And he goes on in verse 14 to say, here's why that matters, because here's the danger if you don't grow up. Verse 14, he says, So that we may no longer be children who get tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So in the same way that my six-year-old, does not have the capacity to survive in the adult world on her own. Paul says that habitually immature Christians, I'm not talking about like you're where you are in the journey because that's where you are. I'm talking about like Christians who should be further than that but like just refuse to grow up. Habitually immature Christians will struggle to survive when they're confronted with the realities of a fallen world. Ephesians 4.14 Notice the image he uses in verse 14. He says, in this world, you're going to get hit with a lot of waves. You see that image? Imagine the way. I just get back from the beach this past week. So imagine the waves. You're going to face tragedy and suffering and disappointment and loss and heartache. And, and all of you in the room are painfully aware of that. Some of you are acutely aware of that now. And Paul says, you're going, to, you're going to hit these waves. The world's going to beat you up. It's going to toss you around. And if you don't grow up, eventually, he says, you're going to get carried away from the faith. I had a conversation um, a couple of weeks ago with a good friend of mine uh, who used to be a pastor. And in one year, his wife left him, and his mom lost her battle with cancer. Those are two pretty big waves. And as a result, not only did he walk away from being a pastor, but he walked away from Jesus. Because um, his faith never matured. His faith never never took root and it never grew. And so I'm in the process of trying to build a gospel relationship with him. And Paul's not saying this to, to like paralyze us with fear. He's saying this because he loves us. He, he, he loves us and he wants to call us to wake up and, and grow up in the faith. And he goes on and he, he points out something else in verse 14. He says, Those who insist on remaining spiritual children are easily deceived. You see that? They're easily deceived. That's how children are, right? Children, easily deceived. My kids will believe anything I tell them. Um, uh, Recently, my daughters have developed an obsession with going up into our attic. I I made the mistake of taking them into our attic one time, and that's all they want to do now is go into the attic. And so um, I'm not exactly proud of this. It's not my finest moment as a parent. But um, one day recently, I I was so like annoyed and and, and tired of of them requesting that we go up in the attic that I just looked right at them and said with confidence, like the reason why we can't go into the attic anymore is because the last time we went up there, we really, really upset old man Marley. (laughs) And they were like, who's old man Marley? And I said with confidence, he's the old man who lives in our attic. And you can see this, like, look on Lucy's face where she, like, wants to laugh and think that her dad's joking, but she's like, you said that with so much confidence that, like, I'm kind of afraid and, and, um, and uncomfortable right now, which means I've got you right where I want you. And, um, and I know that's going to, like, traumatize them later in life. We heard Susanna telling her cousins at Christmas as they were getting ready for bed that there's an old man that lives in the attic. <clears throat> um, I've never told them otherwise, um, and they've stopped asking to go up in the attic. But kids are easily deceived, right? They're easily deceived. That's Paul's point. Like as silly as that sounds, listen to me, as silly as that sounds, you and I get told ridiculous lies like that every day. Stupid stuff. And I believe it. We believe it. I I read this week that we see upwards of 4,000 advertisements a day in our culture. 4,000. And every one of them is designed to get your attention and promise you something you have to have in order to make you happy and whole. Like our culture just constantly bombards us with these messages of these false promises of redemption. Your life will be complete if only you have this one thing. If only you're successful, if only you can, you know, find the right spouse or get a better spouse or a bigger house or, you know, kids who are really amazing at softball or academics or whatever your thing is, whatever... Way you want to pressure your child and try to live vicariously through them like I, we all do it Like that, that's the lies that we get fed all day And my point is this they're lies paul look paul in verse 14 calls them deceitful schemes Like the whole american dream is a lie. It's this re, If you haven't figured it out by now and i'm still figuring it out It's this nasty bait and switch once the dream comes true You wake up and realize whatever it is you wanted it, once you have it, it's not what you thought it was, and it it can't satisfy you, and as a result, it leaves you more empty than you were before you had it. And, And Paul wants us to see that this is the kind of stuff that happens to us when we refuse to grow up. Like children, we lack stability. We are easily deceived. We're easily pushed off the course of following Jesus, who alone can save and satisfy our souls. So I read an article this week about this, or a couple of weeks ago actually, with pastor and author John Mark Comer. He's talking about the dangers of not growing up spiritually in our culture, and here's what he says. I'll put it on the screen. He says, in this digital age, the way America is moving, our whole country will only continue to speed up and secularize. And the reality is that this kind of culture is incredibly corrosive to faith. It eats away at it. It produces a Babylon-like environment that wants to conform and shape us into its image and lead us astray from faith in Christ. Our central question, therefore, as God's people must be, how do we not just survive, but how do we thrive in the corrosive soil of contemporary American culture? In reality, the only way to survive and thrive spiritually in this environment is to move from immaturity into maturity in Jesus. If we refuse to grow up spiritually, we will almost certainly not make it out spiritually alive. Fighting against such a strong current without a relentless commitment to growing up in Christ is almost impossible. So Comer is saying the same thing that William Burroughs and Lou Holtz said. If you're not growing, you're dying. Like if you refuse to grow up spiritually, you're killing your soul your relationships, you're damaging your life spiritually, emotionally, relationally, mainly spiritually. So, so perpetual immaturity is not an option for the disciple of Jesus. That's the point. And so if that's true, it comes back to our question, right? It brings us all the way back to our question when we started. Okay. If that's true, then, then what does growing up look like? How do we grow and, and maybe what are the marks of spiritual maturity so that I can know if I'm actually progressing and growing in my faith? That's a really good question. And If you notice, Paul compares our spiritual progression in, in this text to this natural biological progression. Do you see that? He, 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 he compares us from, from uh, being spiritual infants to becoming spiritual adults. And so a lot of scholars will say the best way to kind of measure spiritual maturity is by comparing it to the different stages in our natural biological development. And there are four stages, naturally, biologically, that you go through and you develop. You go from being an infant to a child to an adolescent to an adult. And so what I want to talk about briefly in the next few minutes is I want to talk about what do those four stages look like in your spiritual development. Does that make sense? All right, let's start with stage one, um, which Paul kind of alludes to. Um, Let's start with infants. If you're an infant, biologically speaking, you're a newborn. If you're a spiritual infant, it means that you're a newborn Christian. Like you have recently experienced what Jesus in the Gospel of John calls being born again, a second birth, which is Jesus' way of saying your eyes have been opened to see Jesus for who he is, and you now believe that he didn't just die for the world, like generically, but he died for me and he died for my sins, That's a spiritual infant. Spiritual infants have this, this new life and this joy that they've discovered in the love of Jesus. And they're just, they're, they're, they're in this stage of just soaking it all up. That's what an infant is. Like biologically speaking, infants are just amazing. They're miraculous. Their, their brains are rapidly firing and absorbing everything. They're constantly learning new things every day. And that's true of spiritual infants. Uh, when I first came to faith in, in Christ, I was like, you know, we use the phrase on fire. Like I'm just absorbing every experience. I'm not, I'm not really serving and doing much, but I'm taking and consuming a lot. And I'm just absorbing and learning all that I can. I'm in this stage of just discovering this life that I've found in Jesus. And So infants are biologically and spiritually speaking, they're, they're miraculous. They're also quite messy. And if you have any, then you know um, they've got all this potential, right? And yet they can't feed themselves. They can't hold their heads up. They can't really do anything for themselves. And, and in some sense, in some sense, it's okay for us to be honest. Like that's true of spiritual infants. If you're in that, if you're in this stage of spiritual infancy, it means that you need to be led and fed by others because you, you haven't really learned how to lead and feed yourself. That's okay, Like that's, in fact, that's beautiful. And if you're in this stage right now, I want you to hear like, we love you. God loves you. Our church is crazy about you. And we love the mess that comes with spiritual infancy. Fellowship's a messy church, right? Would anybody agree? If you're in a missional community, you know, it's messy. It's a messy church and it's a messy church because it's a place that gives birth to new spiritual infants. And our prayer as pastors, man, is that that mess never goes away because the moment that mess goes away, it means that we're we're no longer a church that gives birth to spiritual infants. So we're actually praying that in 2019, the grace of God would give birth to more spiritual infants than we've ever seen, that like baptisms will go through the roof. That's why we're trying to have a thousand gospel conversations this year. Like we, if you're in this stage, we love you. We're so glad you're here. And at the same time, as much as we love spiritual infants, our hope is that nobody stays one. Because biologically speaking, no infant should stay an infant forever, Right the natural progression is that you'll grow and you'll move into the next stage of development, which is going from being an infant to being a child. And what's the, what's the big difference between being an infant and being a child? For starters, a child is someone who can actually start to take care of themselves, right? A child can start to speak for themselves, snack, right? Um, they, they can start to feed themselves. They can start to clean up after themselves, um, and not only do they start to take care of themselves, but a child is someone who begins to want to help others. Children are helpers, man. And they sometimes make it worse, but they're helpers. God love them. Like my six-year-old, like she's, she's a huge help. She wants to help set the table. She wants to help clean up the house. She wants to help with our dog. My four- and my three-year-old, and they, they want to help unload the dishwasher. They want to help put away the groceries. Like they're helpers. They want, they want to begin to help other people. I think the biggest difference, though, between being an infant and being a child is that children have a growing awareness of their father's presence and love for them. If you're a dad, you know this. Um, when an infant is born, they're pretty much oblivious to everyone else in the world except for mama, right? Like when, when my first kid was born, I thought that she had like some alien that had abducted my wife. She's literally attached to my wife and wants nothing to do with me. That's at least the way it seems to me. Um, but as I watched all my babies grow, I noticed this shift as they developed where they started to notice dad and, and now they're smiling at dad and they're like more aware of dad. And eventually they begin to crawl to dad and walk to dad and run to dad. And I get home from work and they're waiting for dad by the door and they're so excited to see dad and they're jumping on dad. And I think that's the biggest difference between an infant and a child is that children have this growing awareness of the Father's presence and love for them. And listen, the same is true spiritually speaking. You, you, you want to know how you know you're growing from infancy into childhood spiritually, how you know you're, 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 you're maturing in the faith, is whenever you have this growing confidence that the Father loves you, even when you sin. Like, right after I came to faith in Jesus, every time I would consciously sin, which is a lot, like, every time I'd be like, I'm gonna choose to blow it right now. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna go for it. I would have so, I would be like in such a shame cloud and believe that, like, there's no way God loves me. There's no way he accepts me anymore. He wants nothing to do with me now. That's spiritual immaturity. And one of the ways you know you're growing up spiritually is if instead of running away from God, you run to God in your sin and your brokenness. And you trust that He loves you. He's going to restore you. He's going to hold you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to make you new. So it doesn't mean that you enjoy your sin. It means you mourn it, but you don't stay there. You, You run to the Father and you have this growing awareness that, man, He loves me. He's crazy about me. That's a sign of spiritual growth. And then... As you meditate on the Father's love and as you begin to serve others, you eventually move to the next stage of spiritual development, which is adolescence. Okay, We go from being an infant to a child to an adolescent. Now, biologically speaking, adolescence is kind of an awkward stage, right? Um, You sort of have all the physical strength of an adult, but the emotional capacity of a child. Um, And it's kind of a gangly, confusing, awkward stage in life. And if you're there biologically, God bless you. We've all been there. We love you, um, and you're amazing. And uh, there's this teenage angst, you know? There's this this drive and this energy to try to figure out who am I, what are my gifts, what are my limits, what do I want to do after high school, what are my hopes and my dreams? And if you're in this stage spiritually, it's really, really similar. There's this inner spiritual angst that spiritual adolescents have, this, this drive to kind of conquer the world, and it's beautiful. There's this, there's this drive to figure out, who am I? What are my gifts? What are my limits? What are my dreams? What's my identity and my calling? You also, you also see yourself starting to mentor and lead other people. Like, um, for better or for worse, kids will always look up to teenagers as their role models and leaders. And a spiritual adolescent is one who steps into that. And says, I'm going to start leading people. I'm going to become a mentor. I'm going I'm to start discipling and really pouring into other people. And there's a ton to celebrate in this stage, we could talk a lot, a lot about a lot more, but I think one of the biggest dangers in this stage, biologically, I think in every stage we tend to have this deal where when you leave this stage and you step into another one, you kind of look down on the stage behind you. So if you're a child, you look down on infants and think that they're silly. If you're an adult, you look at teens and think they're the problem with the world, Right? Um, and, and the big danger with adolescence though, is that not only are you tempted to kind of look down on the stage behind you and think that they're idiots, but you kind of tend to look at adults and think they're idiots, right? Like when I was, um, 12 to 22, I thought my dad was the dumbest person I'd ever met. And then I got married and moved to Kansas city at 23 and realized my dad's the smartest person I've ever known in my life. Right? He's not an idiot. And so that's, that's the deal with teenagers. Teenagers kind of have that vibe about them and we have to be careful about this in the Christian life because the same is true Like some of you are in a place where if you're honest With yourself, you kind of look down on spiritual children and spiritual infants Because maybe they don't get the gospel like you Or maybe they don't know who tim keller is or whoever your spiritual hero is or whatever They're not where you think they should be, right? You're not very patient with that At the same time some of you don't think you have anything to learn from the people who are ahead of you in the journey so you think you're way better and cooler than those who are behind you and you think you don't need the wisdom of spiritual adults. And believe me, I've got a lot of this in me. So I'm speaking from as an expert here. Especially if you're going to tell me what to do. Because teenagers don't like being told what to do. Right? And so the way this plays out in our culture, I feel like, is if you're going to call me to make sacrifices or tell me to do things I don't want to do, then I'm just going to throw the gospel in your face until you're being a legalist. Right? Because... I don't want to do that. And grace tells me I don't have to do anything else but just be. And that's, a, that's, that's actually spiritual immaturity. It's teen, teenage rebellion. And so if you're in this stage, man, our prayer for you is that um, you'll keep your commitment to the gospel and you'll grow in humility. That you'll use your angst to step up and be a servant leader for those who are behind you and that you'll dive deep in the community and find people who are ahead of you and just get around them, pick their brain. What's it like to suffer? what 's it like to go through life and to fail and, and, and to keep your commitment to Jesus? How do you do that? Like that 's our prayer for you. I mean, if you do this as a spiritual adolescent, over time, you 'll grow into the final stage of development, which is spiritual adulthood and there 's a lot I could say here, but for the sake of time, um, here 's what I want to say about spiritual adulthood, and i don 't presume myself to be here uh, by the way. Um, to be a spiritual adult does not mean that you've arrived and reached perfection, but it just means that you realize more than ever before that you need Jesus more than anyone else around you. Spiritual adults are way less impressed with themselves and way more impressed with Jesus. (laughs) They're secure in their identity. They know exactly who they are in Christ. Their life is structured around abiding in Jesus, and therefore their life is marked by the fruit of the spirit. They are way more patient with the weaknesses and the failures of others. They are more gracious and forgiving, more loving. They have more joy, and so on, and so on. Another mark of, of spiritual adulthood, and this is huge, is that spiritual adults don't just grow up and retire, they reproduce. That's huge. Spiritual adults are not just trying to like secure financial uh, security and like move off to Florida, but they're... They're present in the church, and they spend their time pouring into and investing in the next generation of disciples. They're, they're reproducing themselves, and that's the goal. The goal is not just maturity for maturity's sake, but the goal is maturity for the sake of mission. And that's, that's a spiritual adult, someone who grows deep. The gospel grows deep in them, and then the gospel grows wide through them. That's our heart as a church. We want to be a church that's about maturity for the sake of mission, or as we like to say, spiritual formation for the purpose of gospel saturation. Like we want to see the gospel grow deep in us and form us into the image of Jesus and then spill out of us and saturate the city. And, and, and no matter what stage of development you're in, you're called to that mission, but you know you're a spiritual adult if you're becoming more and more passionate about giving your life to that. That's spiritual maturity, that's spiritual adulthood. And Paul says, listen, that's the goal of the Christian life. The goal is you can't say stagnant. The goal is to go from being an infant to a child to an adolescent to one who is presented as a mature adult in Christ. And, and we do membership renewal every year as a church just as a way of recommitting our lives to that vision. And, and to close, I just want to say this. I kind of want to just give really quick three, like if you want some nuts and bolts, like how to. How do I actually move through these stages? How do I move from one stage to the next? Because I, I see myself in various places in all those stages, but I, I want to make sure I'm progressing and trending in the right way. So what are some nuts and bolts, like really practical steps that I can take? Let me give you three really fast. Number one, the only way you will ever grow up and progress through these stages is if you take responsibility for yourself. Notice, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says it's the job of pastors and leaders to equip the saints to do the work of building up the body. So as pastors, like, man, we're committed to trying to create an environment where growth can take place, but each one of us, ourselves included, have to decide if we're actually going to do the work. You see that in this text, right? Pastors equip, the body does the work necessary in order to grow. So it's like my kids at dinner, like, we can prepare the meal and provide all the dishes, create the environment where they, they can eat, but we can't make them eat. Uh, I mean, I can threaten them, but, I'm not, but I can't, like, old man Marley might come get you, but I can't force feed them, right? And so the question we have to ask is, am I willing to take responsibility for my own growth and my pursuit of Jesus? Like, am I going to, and I'm saying this to me, am I going to stop talking about it and actually do it? Like... Carve out space to be with Jesus and to read scripture and develop my prayer life. Hebrews 5 says if you want to grow up, you have to move from milk to meat, which means you can't survive off of other people feeding you all the time. Like you you have to eventually start feeding yourself and then feeding others. And so, number one, number one, real nuts and bolts, if you want to move through these stages and grow, you will have to take responsibility for yourself. Your MC leader can't make you grow. The pastors can't make you grow. You have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and participate with Him and take responsibility for yourself. It's It's in the text. Number two, if you want to grow, you have to plug into community where you can be known and loved. You see that. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 4.15 when he says we grow up into Christ by speaking the truth in love to one another. Let me paraphrase that. Paul's saying if you want to grow, you have to put yourself in a context where you can be known and loved. Because I can't speak the truth to you and love you on a personal level if I don't know you. And so in order to see the gospel grow in you, you've got to get yourself in a small relational space where you can take off the mask, tell the truth about yourself, and trust that whatever I say is going to be heard in confidence and held in love, and I'm going to be encouraged and exhorted uh, with the truth of who God is for me and Jesus. And this is why we encourage every member at Fellowship uh, to, to get involved in a DNA group. Like a DNA group is simply three or four people, men with men, women with women, who are committed to help each other grow up. In their discipleship to Jesus. Jesus had one of these by the way. He had a space like this. He picked three guys that he was on mission with. And he went deeper with those guys. Because I think Jesus understood that this is what human beings need. In order to to grow their relationship with the father. And so we encourage every member to be involved in the DNA group. And to help us kind of strengthen uh, DNA groups. We've done two things this year we've never done before. We've appointed leaders to DNA groups. They're just facilitators. They're, they just kind of help facilitate the, the the meeting, and the second thing we 've done is we have we 've built this nice little resource, this DNA workbook that we 're asking all DNA groups to go through in two thousand and nineteen and i 'm not trying to toot our horn, but uh, we wrote this as pastors Megan Helms designed this, um, um, Heather Watson and Hannah Jackson went through a lot of effort to assemble these and build this and put it together. And it really does represent years of growth and development, failure, growth, and development that we've gone through as pastors. And so we, we believe this is going to be a foundational resource for your growth and for your DNA group. And so, man, you've, but the point is, listen, you've got to get yourself in a DNA like space. That's why we do that as a church, a place where you can be known and you can be loved. And if you're not in one and you're in an missional community, talk to your leader, email me, talk to me after the service. I would love to help you. For the sake of time, I'm going to land the plane here. Last thing I want to say is this. If you want to grow, you're going to have to take responsibility for yourself. Number two, you're going to have to get in a context where you can be known and loved. Number three, if you want to grow and be truly alive, you must look to Jesus and keep looking to Jesus as your only hope. Put your trust in Him. I love that Hebrews says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's going to finish what He started in you. Even when you feel like a failure and you feel like you're not growing, like he's at work. He's at work. He's doing 10,000 things in you, even if you can't see any of them. And so, if you're anything like me, I often look at where I'm at in the journey and I look at where I should be in my character and my life, and all I see is the distance, and I'm tempted to despair. Here's the good news God is not in a hurry with you, He's not. He is endlessly patient with His children. And so he's not in a hurry with you, and you don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. And if you will keep your eyes on Jesus and you will keep pursuing him, you will grow up. You will grow up. And what we celebrate every week at this table is the good news that you don't have to um, do all the work to close the gap between you and Jesus. Jesus has done all the work to close the gap between us and him. Because he left his throne, he stepped into our world to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, and he came to pursue us and give his life to make us alive. That's what we celebrate every week at this table, his body broken and his blood shed to pay the price for our sins and to give us true life in him. If you're a Christian, we want to invite you to come and celebrate that with us. The way we take communion here is you simply tear a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup, and we have four stations, two um, in the front here on each side of the stage, two in the back, and to my left and your right over here is a gluten-free option. Um, I'm going to ask that you would go ahead and stand the band, and the, that the band would come forward I just want to invite you to keep your heart engaged um, in this moment with what God is saying and what God is doing. And I want to say this, if you're in this room and you've, you've been listening to this and you, you, you feel like I'm not spiritually alive, like I'm not sure that I've ever actually given my life to Jesus, or I know for a fact I've never given my life to Jesus, the scripture says today is the day of salvation for you. If you will turn away from yourself, turn away from all these empty promises, turn away from your sin, and you will look to Jesus, he will meet you with nothing but grace and mercy and love. Man, that is our prayer for you, that you would do that, that you would come and experience the life you were made for in Christ. And if you've got questions about that or you want to talk, uh, Jared's here, um, Luke's here, I'm here. We would love to talk with you after the service. Let's pray together. Well, Father, come and, uh, and, and do what only you can do. Give us hearts that respond in repentance and faith and obedience. And I pray, God, that we would know how true it is that um, your burden is easy and your yoke is light, and that we would put our trust in you ever more deeply. I pray the gospel would grow deep in us, the gospel would spill out of this place, and you'd make yourself famous in parable through our witness here.